Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, February 25th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we are going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Swai Turn Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, guys. So most of what we're going to talk about today involves Paramount Plus, which is yet another streaming service. Uh, this one is actually sort of a streaming service that has already existed before. Uh, CBS All Access is being rebranded into Paramount Plus, and it's going to be launching early next month. Uh, and yesterday, uh, Viacom CBS, the, the parent company of uh, Paramount Plus, had this big investor day presentation where they, uh, starting late yesterday evening, just like unleashed a torrent of news about this new streaming service, including some pricing information and how they're going to be handling um, the move, uh, movies that are going to be coming out theatrically and then when those are going to be coming onto the service and a ton of new TV shows that they announced. So I figured, uh, you know, there's not much going on. Um, we're going to just skip Water Cooler this week and, and uh, roll that into next week's show. So since all of this Paramount Plus news came out last night, let's talk about it. Let's let's uh, run through some of these big news items that hit. And uh, I'll kick things off by talking a little bit about the TV shows that they announced. So um, I'm not going to go through all of these. You can I encourage people to click on the links in the show notes if they want to learn more about any of this. But I'll give you some of the... <laughs> "Quote unquote highlights, I guess, of uh, some of these these programs that are being um, made, I guess, adapted from other sources and turned into TV shows on Paramount Plus. So, uh, basically, they're mining a lot of the Paramount film library for ideas here. So, uh, Love Story, based on the really popular Ali McGraw Ryan O'Neill romance, is being adapted into a film. As is Flashdance, The Italian Job, Fatal Attraction, and The Parallax View. Um, the Italian Job is the only one there that that has anything like super interesting, uh, and that is that uh, it is actually going to be a sequel to the Michael Caine heist movie from 1969. So, it doesn't have anything to do with the 2003. Uh, remake that was popularized and, and starred uh, Mark Wahlberg and Charlize Theron. This one 
revolves around the grandchildren of the legendary Charlie Croker, who was played by Michael Caine in the original, who inherit his old safety deposit box and reignite the quest for the infamous Italian bullion. So that kind of sounds like they're doing the uh, the old Ghostbusters afterlife kind of effect um, for that one. Uh, uh, this Paramount Plus is resurrecting a ton of shows, including some reality TV and sort of documentary series like uh, The Real World, Homecoming New York, uh, Yo! MTV Raps, uh, Behind the Music, which was a staple on VH1 many years ago, uh, Unplugged, there's a Frasier revival, um, Beavis and Butthead is getting a new movie. I mean, there's so much here to talk about. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm not going to go through every single one of these, but I just wanted to sort of throw this out to you guys and just get your general sense, um, especially Chris and Brad, who I know were like sort of in the trenches with me last night, like writing up all this stuff as it was uh, being released. What do you guys think about like the overall shape of the stuff that Paramount Plus has announced here? What do you make of this streaming service and it's in its early uh early incarnation here uh i i'm uh, <laughs> none of this sounds that exciting to me especially the 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 idea where they're just like we're gonna take a bunch of movies we own and turn them into tv shows like parallax view is a fucking great movie and i do not want to see that as some like generic thriller tv show i really do not so uh i'm I, a lot of this is just like you know, mystifying stuff. You know, I know Paramount, it's hard to compete with Disney and it's hard to compete with how Warner Brothers is doing their thing with releasing all their 2021 stuff straight to HBO Max. But this just, this all feels like bargain basement. Like, it's like, oh, what else we got? Uh, Yo MTV raps. Like, the, it just doesn't sound like there's any real excitement to be had here. Uh, Brad, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's the biggest thing is just like Paramount, Viacom, CBS, the the parent company, they don't have quite the impressive array of properties and stuff to really get excited about. Are are there some things here that I'm interested in? Uh, Sure. You know, I I grew up, uh, you know, watching Beavis and Butthead. And so I'm intrigued to see what a series revival um, and the TV movie that leads into it is going to, to be like. Um, you know, as somebody who grew up on, on Nicktoons, I'm, I'm at least curious about the Rugrats reboot since it brings back the original cast. Um, even though, you know, it, it doesn't have the same charm as that original 2d, uh, animation style now that it's computer animated. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm even intrigued by some of the, you know, the documentary nonfiction kind of stuff. Like, uh, I love behind the music on VH1. I'm, uh, as a big Foo Fighters fan, I feel like the documentary series featuring Dave Grohl, uh, and his mom, you know, could be interesting. And so there, there's certain things that I'm at the very least curious about, but there's nothing here that jumps out to me as something like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to definitely have to watch that. Yeah, the Dave Grohl thing is called From Cradle to Stage, which tells stories of the special relationship between successful musicians and their moms. And as you mentioned, the, there's a Rugrats reboot that has a whole like CG vibe. Um, I guess one of the things I should mention is that um, we previously knew some stuff that was coming to Paramount Plus that was like confirmed or, or reconfirmed. Um, I guess the most, maybe arguably the most important is there's going to be more SpongeBob SquarePants content. And that they're, they're really like leaning into the kid aspect. There's going to be a live action Dora the Explorer show, a live action The Fairly Odd Parents show. Um, and with that Rugrats thing that you just mentioned, I mean, it, it seems like they're, you know, a lot of the, obviously Disney plus is like aimed at families, but, um, I guess in, in terms of like the larger streaming service landscape, 
Um, this seems like it has some stuff that people that younger audiences are actually going to be interested in, whether or not their parents will know enough about Paramount Plus to subscribe to it and, and you know, put that in front of them uh, remains to be seen. Um, I guess one, one of the other big things that this service has to offer is its relationship with Taylor Sheridan, who wrote Hell or High Water and is behind uh, the series Yellowstone, which is like very popular, uh, but I, I've never seen it. But I, I, I hear that it's like one of the most popular shows or maybe even the most popular show on cable right now. Um, and they are going full on in the Taylor Sheridan business. I think he has, there's a, a, a Yellowstone prequel series. There's a Yellowstone spinoff series that was announced for Paramount+. Plus. There's another show that he's working on uh, called Mayor of Kingstown that stars Jeremy Renner. And then there's even another show that is set in West Texas that Taylor Sheridan is involved with. So, I mean, <laughs> he is really like their guy when it comes to creating content for the service. Um, HD, I don't know if you've had a chance to do like a deep dive into everything that Paramount Plus has to offer, but what are your first impressions here about all this stuff that we've sort of mentioned and, and what you know about this so far? My first impression was, wow, that's a lot of IP that they're going to uh, go back to the well for. Um, and my second impression was, how are they going to make a remake of The Parallax View? Because the entire point of that film was that uh, there are no actual solutions or uh, easy resolutions to a wide-reaching conspiracy. So I feel like it would be uniquely unsuited to being remade into a TV series or whatever um, Paramount Plus will, will make it into. So that seemed like a strange one to me. But uh, yeah, it seemed like Paramount Plus is really gearing up to try to compete with other streamers like Disney Plus, like HBO Max. Um, and it's kind of taking the route that HBO Max is doing by like playing into nostalgia so heavily. But I think like Brad said, uh, they don't have a lot of properties that have as much wide appeal as Warner Warner Media, Warner Brothers does. So it's uh, they're they're definitely kind of grasping for straws with some of these titles. Yeah, and I mean Star Trek is one of Paramount's uh, biggest and and Viacom CBS's like biggest uh, projects, and and they have like tons of shows that are that were on CBS All Access that will be ported over to Paramount Plus. So um, there's like a big franchise tie in there. Uh, one of the other big film projects that they are film IPs that they own is Mission Impossible. And there has not been any sort of announcement about a Mission Impossible show. But that seems like the kind of thing that, you know, if they want to mine their own IP, like at least do it with something that you know, has like a cultural cachet behind it, you know. Um, but I don't know. I mean, they're they're also looking to revive uh, Criminal Minds, which is like a very straight down the middle procedural, you know, network previously a network show, but like a ton of people watch Criminal Minds. And like maybe this shotgun approach of, um, you know, uh, aiming at all different types of audiences and all different types of content and never, not necessarily providing the most flashy thing on display, but just having a lot of stuff that that sort of runs the gamut between, you know, potential audiences, maybe that's an approach that could work. I mean, I, I think for us, like we look at this, and I don't want to speak for everybody on this podcast, but I, I look at this and say, oh my God, like another streaming service with all of this shit on it. And, but that's just because I subscribe to all of the ones that have already existed, <laughs> that, that already exist. And I know that a lot of people in the country don't and, and around the world don't subscribe to all the ones that I subscribe to. So maybe, um, you know, if people are, are trying to take their pick, maybe this is going to be the one that, that sort of, uh, you know, rings the bell for them. So 
I don't know. It's hard to be like, ah, all of this sounds like complete trash. Um, I'm, I'm not like super excited about any one thing, but uh, it's not like Quibi where I think all of us from the very beginning were like, I don't know about this. This seems like it's going to go under in six months. And, you know, it pretty much did. I feel like Paramount Plus could stick around for a while because it has a lot of stuff that theoretically people might care about. But I don't know. I'm, I'm a little curious to see how this uh how this launch works and and what sort of reaction um they get from people and and what their subscriber numbers start to look like at least in the first year um and maybe that'll give us a better sense of like what sort of strategy they're gonna uh develop going forward but um let's move on to some of the uh specifics uh within this this paramount plus umbrella um chris they have a tv show that is going to be a a pretty big name property that a lot of people are going to care about i'm curious to see if (laughs) if people are going to care enough to subscribe to a new service but uh tell us about one of the the big shows that they're going to have it's uh the halo tv show based on the very popular halo video game series um this was originally supposed to go to showtime but now it is going to paramount plus instead so there you go sorry everyone with a showtime subscription who was really excited to watch halo you have to sign up for paramount plus now yeah i kind of wonder if showtime is going to like how they're going to make it at this point. Cause that seems like a uh, sort of a network saver kind of show for them. Yeah. It's, it is interesting. I, I, I do wonder like how, yeah, like you just said, how this is going to all work out for, does anyone belong to Showtime anymore? I feel like no one subscribes to Showtime. I, I, I don't, I don't know how popular a service that is at this point. It feels like it's like an outlier. So Maybe they'll maybe they'll go away. Maybe they'll get rolled into Paramount Plus. Who knows? Yeah. Um, so that was one of the big like original uh, TV show properties that is going to be coming there, and they're actually are they're going to be working on original films uh, at Paramount Plus as well. And Chris, you wrote about a couple of those last night. Tell us about that. Ah, uh, yeah. So the Paranormal Activity sequel reboot, whatever you want to call it, we we've known this was coming for a while. We know that Christopher Landon is writing it. He wrote uh, the Happy Death Day films and um, he uh, he directed uh, Freaky. He's writing the script. And William Eubank, who directed uh, the surprisingly good underwater horror movie Underwater, is directing it. And we knew that was on the way. And now we've learned that that's going straight to Paramount+. Plus. Also going to straight to Paramount+, Plus is a Pet Cemetery prequel and this is going to jump off of the the recent the 2019 pet cemetery film it has the the same writer jeff bueller uh is penning the script um we don't know a whole lot about that we just know it's going to explore the the origins if you will of the the haunted burial ground that that can raise the dead and those are both going straight to paramount plus um other stuff is going to theaters first and then eventually paramount plus but this is these two titles are just going right there Okay, so let's tackle these one by one real quick. Uh, what do you think about a paranormal activity movie going straight to like a streaming service, Chris? It, it seems to me like those movies are best seen in theaters, right? Like with most, I don't know, it, it depends. And maybe I'm wrong about this because you watch way more horror movies than I do. Um, and, and the horror uh, landscape has changed a lot, especially in, in the past year with a ton of stuff going to VOD. Do you think a horror movie like that um which you know previously every film in this franchise went straight to theater went to theaters uh can survive and and thrive going straight to a streaming service like this i don't know if it can survive and thrive but i do feel like they're they're sort of 
uh, hedging their bets here. I mean, uh, each subsequent sequel in the series did worse and worse at the box office. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't know that. And I kind of feel like, I mean, you know, they were all moderate hits or some were big hits. And then, but I feel like the last few films in the series did not do so well. And that's sort of why the series stopped really, because it got to a point where no one really cared anymore. So I kind of feel like that's kind of why they're sort of like, well, do we want to risk dropping this into theaters and having it not do well? Or should we just, you know, cut our losses and, and send this right to Paramount Plus. Yeah, and of course, uh, with all these streaming services, nobody will ever know if only three total people watch this stuff because they right. don't have to release the numbers. So um, in terms of the Pet Cemetery prequel, I'm curious, has there, is there ever um, has there ever been any precedent for this? Like, in has Stephen King ever written a short story that's set in, you know, before the source material, his book, or has there ever been a movie that flashes back to the events before the first one? I haven't seen, I haven't engaged with Pet Cemetery at all, but I know that you're a, a big King fan and you know this uh, property really well. Uh, Stephen King actually has a few short stories that sort of act as prequels or sequels to to things he's he's written. Um, uh, there's a there's a story he wrote called Jerusalem's Lot, which is like a prequel to Salem's Lot, and so there is sort of a precedent there. Uh, there isn't a precedent for Pet Cemetery, but there's a lot of stuff in the book that uh, you could mine sort of for a prequel, if you will. I mean, um, it's sort of like baked into the narrative, really, because, you know, the burial ground has been there for hundreds and hundreds of years, maybe even longer. So you could always uh, jump off of that. And, uh, you know, the Pet Cemetery story is set up sort of that outsiders come into this area where the burial ground is and the burial ground has been in this this small main town for centuries, really. So you could build off of that. So hmm. um, I I know some people were iffy on the 2019 Pet Cemetery. I really liked it. Pet Cemetery in general is my favorite Stephen King property. It's my favorite book he's written I, I love the, the 1989 movie i i really like the 2019 movie i even like the the sequel to the the previous film which is not based on anything stephen king wrote but it, it has a sort of fun goofy charm to it so i'm i'm all in on this i know a lot of people won't be but i'm i'm a sucker for pet cemetery so Okay. I'm very curious about this. All right. Um, so, Brad, in all of the chaos that happened last night, I saw a headline about how Paramount Plus is going to be handling their the movies and, and you know, what happens after a film debuts theatrically and then comes to the streaming service. But I confess that I have not had time to read about this in detail. So please uh, enlighten me and hopefully our listeners about what the heck the Paramount Plus movie strategy is uh, for the streaming service. Oh, it would be my pleasure. Um, so Paramount is essentially following in the footsteps that uh, Universal Pictures and Warner Brothers Pictures uh, have already been taking by shortening the theatrical window. Uh, Universal was the first one to really shake things up by reducing their theatrically theatrical exclusive window to just 17 days. Um, and so a lot of their mid-range uh, and lower profile movies have been in theaters just, just for uh, under a few weeks before going to VOD to be available for uh, premium rental. And then Warner Brothers came along and uh, did something even crazier by making all of their theatrical releases in 2021 available day and date on HBO Max for 31 days. And Paramount um, is actually being a little less extreme when it comes to their approach. So uh, they will be sending some of their major blockbusters to Paramount Plus uh, with a shortened theatrical window 
but uh, the theatrical window will be 45 days instead of the traditional 90 days that studios usually keep movies uh, in theaters for before they head to VOD. So the, the specific titles that were mentioned so far were Mission Impossible 7, A Quiet Place Part 2, and Top Gun Maverick. Um, those are the, the, the three biggest blockbusters that will arrive on Paramount Plus 45 days after they hit theaters. Uh, they also mentioned that there's a Paw Patrol movie that will uh, also follow the same route, but uh, I don't think we have a lot of Paw Patrol fans on the Slash Film uh, <laughs> listenerships. Um, I'm sure plenty of parents probably know about it, and uh, it's going to drive them crazy because they'll have to watch it over and over again. But uh, just tell your kids that you don't have Paramount Plus, so then you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so uh, they're they're being a little less extreme when it comes to shortening the window, but they're definitely following the footsteps. They see you know um, a viable path for building their subscribers uh, in releasing these movies to Paramount Plus. Uh, and one thing that will um, also be helping Paramount Plus is that they've also um, renewed a deal uh, with. Uh, Paramount Pictures has renewed a deal with Epics that will give Epics a 90-day exclusive uh, pay TV window for Paramount's movies. And MGM is also doing the same thing. So movies like No Time to Die and Creed 3, after they've hit theaters um, and gone through the VOD route, when they first hit pay TV, uh, they'll be available on Epics for 90 days exclusively before they uh, head to Paramount Plus and then later available on other cable channels and whatnot. So for people who might not know like the difference between pay TV and, and VOD, Brad, could you just like uh, explain that real quick? Yeah, for sure. That's a good question. So pay TV, we're talking about channels like uh, Epics is a pay TV channel, HBO, Cinemax, Showtime. And so they'll get movies... Um, to play from studios before they end up on basic cable. When you and we're talking about channels like uh, FX or TNT or TBS. So when these movies are available on uh, pay TV, uh, they'll be available exclusively through Epix for 90 days before they would be made available to any other potential outlet that would like to play them. And then after that exclusive window, MGM uh, and Param- certain Paramount movies will then be available to stream on Paramount Plus. Gotcha. Okay. So the one thing that, um, if I'm understanding you right, I just want to like lay this out and make sure that I'm, I'm getting this correct. Uh, especially for these big movies, Mission Impossible 7, Top Gun Maverick, for example, they are, are they locked into a 45 day, um, debut on Paramount plus because like for the universal deal that happened, you know, in 2020, when, when all this was just sort of forming and, and the, um, the, window was breaking and all of that kind of stuff. They, I think their plan was something like, if we want to, we can release a movie, you know, to, to a streaming platform or to pay TV or whatever, uh, within 17 days or something. But if the movie is performing well in theaters, if the, if we release fast nine and it makes a lot of money in theaters, we're not locked in to putting that. We can basically hold it in theaters for as long as we want to keep making money in theaters. But it sounds like this is a different thing, right? Like they're, they are actually locked into, okay, 45 days after it it debuts in theaters, you are going to be able to see these movies. Is that right? Yeah. They specifically announced that, um, these, these three movies and the Paw Patrol movie, um, they will be sending them to Paramount plus 45 days after their theatrical release. Now that's not necessarily, um, something that will follow for all of their big blockbusters. I think this is probably something they're doing initially to help boost Paramount Plus's numbers as the year goes on, uh, because a lot of, um, you know, the, the pandemic is still a thing. And, you know, even into later this year, 
Uh, you'll probably still have people who are apprehensive about going to movie theaters. And so I think that they want to make sure that they're able to, uh, you know, ha- benefit themselves elsewhere if the theatrical numbers aren't doing as well as they, they might hope. So this way, if these movies, you know, aren't huge uh, box office earners, then they'll at least recoup maybe a little bit more by having people sign up for Paramount Plus in the interim to watch them 45 days after they hit theaters. And then, um, and interestingly enough too, uh, this is just for their biggest blockbusters. Some of their mid-range movies may actually have a shorter theatrical window because there was talk that some Paramount movies may end up being re- uh, released to Paramount Plus 30 days after theatrical release. Um, so so it's just huh. these these bigger movies that they're giving a little bit uh, longer of a theatrical window to. Okay. So with all of this in mind, HC, let's go to you. How much will it cost to subscribe to Paramount Plus and get all of this stuff that we've been talking about? It will actually cost cheaper uh, to subscribe to Paramount Plus than it did for CBS All Access. Uh, Paramount Plus is producing its base ad-supported tier by $1. It's charging $4.99 per month uh, versus CBS All Access former $5.99 per month. Uh, But this is the base package. The full Paramount Plus premium tier with no ads uh, except for live programming will be uh, the same at $9.99 per month. Uh, But there is a little bit of a catch with that base ad-supported tier. It won't include uh, CBS, local CBS stations in its live programming. So it will include live sports like NFL games, but no local CBS stations um, as a way of basically appealing to a wider demographic um, and uh, giving paving the way for more content than CBS All Access had. Uh, this is basically a, a move in the direction for yeah, you know, the younger cord cutting demographic versus the more elderly demographic that CBS typically had, and mm. um, obviously part of the whole rebranding to Paramount Plus. Yes. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I guess we might as well go around the circle and just like say whether or not we would pay this much for all of the stuff that we've just been talking about. Um, HT, do you think it would be worth it to you to you know to watch Mission Impossible Seven a month and a half after its theatrical release for you know, let's say four ninety nine a month. I have so many streaming services already. Maybe it'd be worth it if. Well, the next story I'm going to talk about is something that I actually is a franchise I'm actually very invested in. And if they put a lot of stuff on Paramount Plus, then maybe I would be interested in investing. Okay, Brad. Uh, Brad, yeah, let's go to you. Is there anything here? You know, you mentioned that Dave Grohl show. You mentioned Beavis and Butthead. Anything else like pique your interest enough where you're actually going to think about paying that subscription price? So I'm in a position right now where I subscribed to the bundle that um, Apple TV Plus put out there, where if you sign up for Apple TV Plus, you can also sign up for both CBS All Access and Showtime for a reduced price where it costs um, half each CBS All Access and Showtime costs half as much as it would if you subscribe to them individually. And I'm still signed up for that. And it's supposed to remain active even after CBS All Access becomes Paramount Plus. So because of that... I will probably stick with it. However, if I were forced to subscribe to Paramount Plus separately, I'm not necessarily sure that I would go through with it. Yeah. Um, Chris, what about you? I mean, Pet Cemetery it seems like a big deal for you. Is that is that going to be enough or any any like the Frasier reboot? Are you curious <laughs> enough about that to like just to throw down a few bucks a month to, to see? Man, I I, I, just, I already have so many, so many streaming services and like 
when that pet cemetery movie arrives, I'm just going to email someone and be like, send me a screener. Like <laughs> if I, if I didn't have access to that sort of stuff, maybe I would, but I, uh, you know, I, I just, but I, maybe on a temporary basis, if you didn't have sc- screeners, you might do like a or a free trial or something just to watch yeah, it. But it doesn't sound yeah. like it's something that you would like actively stick with for a little I, while. Yeah. I just have, so, you know, HBO max and Netflix and Hulu and Amazon prime and shutter and the criterion channel and Disney plus. And it's like, I just, I, I can't imagine getting enough, you know, there, the dream with these streaming services was that we could cut the cord and no longer be tethered to, expensive cable plans and now we're just got to pay even more than we ever paid for cable because we have to sign up to everything i i just want i dream of one streaming service that has everything on it someone (laughs) someone invent that i'm sure you can make that happen someone go ahead all right, HC. So you alluded to uh, the the last story that we're going to mention here, and it being a uh, a franchise or a property that's near and dear to your heart. So tell us about that. Yes, uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender is com- coming back to Nickelodeon. Uh, Nickelodeon is launching an Avatar Studios, a newly formed content division that is dedicated wholly and singularly singularly to Avatar: The Last Airbender, uh, expanding the world of. Uh, the Last Airbender and Legend of Korra through a series of uh, feature films, animated shows, what have you, that will be arriving either in theaters or in Paramount Plus or on, on Nickelodeon's various uh, channels. So this is um, very exciting news for people who have been uh, keeping up with the long and troubled production for the Netflix live action uh, Avatar The Last Airbender series, original creators of the series, Michael DiMartino and Brian Konietzko, who were set to uh, produce and sort of steer the Netflix live actions adaptation, left the the project in quite a huff last summer uh, over creative differences. And it seems they've taken like the most hilariously petty uh, sort course of action they could do is form their own production studio that's just dedicated to Avatar Last Airbender, uh, basically like flipping a little a middle finger to Netflix and saying, we can do what we want. We're making uh, all Avatar stuff for Netflix, for Nickelodeon, which welcomed them back with open arms, probably after seeing how much uh, of renewed interest there has been for Avatar Last Airbender after it hit um, Netflix streaming last summer. And uh, they're basically like giving all their resources to DiMartino and Konietzko to uh, – form avatar studios they are uh the co-creative uh co-created co-chief creative officers for avatar studios and the first project that comes out of this studio is an original animated theatrical film it's gonna be hitting theaters and uh it's a it's a very exciting thing to, especially it's coming from uh DiMartino and Konietzko and uh something that a lot of avatar fans have been really craving just more sort of material and more expansion of the world uh, that we've been getting somewhat in Legend of Korra and in um, comics and novels. But I feel like Avatar Less Airbender is a franchise that's really ripe for all kinds of storytelling and um, for this kind of really focused storytelling too. Like if they make a, a theme park, I would actually be happy about it. Um, so this is, yeah, this is really exciting stuff. Although it is kind of ironic that Nickelodeon is putting all of this money in and now realizes that um, Avatar Last Airbender is a gem after effectively burying Legend of Korra while it was on the air. So hmm. just kind of ironic, but, you know, a sweet irony now that uh, Martino and Cagnetta get to do what they want with with the series. 
So do you think that there's a chance that they make their own live action uh, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender series that sort of like directly competes with the Netflix version? Or, or was this um, was there something in this announcement that basically said that they're sticking to animation all the way through? Well, this, this first project is animated. They didn't uh, rule out anything live action wise. And I think it would be really hilarious and um, wouldn't be outside of the box if they did decide to, to go for live action. Uh, the Netflix live action series is still in, in development for now, but um, there have been rumors around the Avatar <laughs> fan community that uh, there are a lot of there have been a lot of changes to the source material which is uh, why DiMartino and Kanyetsuko were so unhappy like aging ups of various characters changing up of ethnicities and that kind of thing so um, yeah it would be definitely a, a boss move on uh, DiMartino and Kanyetsuko's part to just do their own live action series to hell with Netflix's <laughs> version uh, though I do think Netflix does have a little bit more cash to burn than Nickelodeon probably yeah, cash and then also like cultural cultural awareness, right? Like, you know, we're talking about Paramount Plus as a brand new uh, subscription service. And like, even if they do put their own live action thing on here, it's good. They're fighting an uphill battle. They have to, people have to climb Paramount Mountain to, to use terms that they've been using in their, <laughs> in their own marketing. The entertainment um, mountain. <laughs> yeah, to be able to, um, I mean, just like the, the sheer number of eyeballs that's going to be on that live action show on Netflix is going to you know, completely dwarf whatever is going to happen on Paramount Plus probably in, in its first year or so. So uh, that seems like maybe an uphill battle, but it would be at least an amusing one for us to watch from the outside. So uh, maybe something like that will happen. But um, okay, so uh, I guess I think that's it. I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all of the short uh, the stories that we mentioned in the show notes for today's episode. Uh, this podcast is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps. And please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics and mailbag questions to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Um, make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.